0: Hello, Defenders, and welcome back to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I'm Andrew Decker, here with Andrew Harris. once again. Hey, everybody. Again. Uh, today, we're coming up with episode three on jury selection. Uh, I'm doing the intro because Mr. Harris is going to do most of the talking. He's done the research on the cases. Lucky you. Lucky me. I just get to sit here and look pretty. You can tell. Um, <laughs> also, just don't forget, it, you know, this is dropping on March 15th. So that means there's gonna be some no refusal counties for the next few days as we go into St. Patrick's Day and on Tuesday when you head into court, make sure you put on that green uh blouse or green tie. Just just so you look seasonally appropriate. Yeah, and and you know, lay off the Irish coffee, okay? At least first thing in the morning. Yeah. Right? Okay.
1: <laughs> that's that's my advice. <laughs> official official legal advice.
0: I, I honestly don't like Irish coffee. I think it anyway. Um so we've covered <laughs> we've covered two Two whole <laughs> sessions of Voidire, of jury selection, as uh, we say. And, and now we're in episode three. We've covered uh, lots of stuff. We've covered bats, and we've covered uh, how do you get called to the pool. You know, jumping in the pool, we've talked about being deselected. But now we're actually going to get into a little bit more of uh, the, the actual law, yeah. of jury selection and what you can say what you can't say what you can ask what you can't ask and according to the law what the purpose of jury selection is
1: yeah and we that's why we thought uh, you know maybe I should um, kind of head up this uh, third part to our jury selection series uh, because there's it, it can be very uh, nuanced in what questions you can ask and can't ask and let me be honest. Like I've made all the mistakes. You know, I get objected to when I ask a question. So basically, uh, I don't make
0: mistakes, so I don't have a problem. But
1: I'm just saying, um, <laughs> maybe that's true. Maybe that's true, Andrew. I mean, the cases that we've sat together on, I don't think, I don't think you have. I don't. I've not noticed any mistakes. There was one that I was just kind of stumbling through this like punishment-related question. It was obviously a commitment question, which we'll get into. Like, what does that mean? Um, why you need to avoid it? Um, and the state objected and then, you know, the judge was like, instead of just graining the objection, he he pulled all the parties up. So not only like I was objected to I was kind of stopped in my tracks in the middle of jury selection. And now like the judge is like, Man, get on up here. Like, what are you doing?
0: You know what I mean? So And and, um, and in, in lots of courts the judge gives you so much time and while the judges sidebarred you, your clock is running.
1: Your clock is running. Yeah, right. you're
0: not getting any benefit
1: for that, right? Um, and then, you know, like, how do you restart after that? Like, you know, you're just kind of scrambling in your head, man. Okay. I can't ask it that way. Do I, now do I even really care? Like, I'm just going to move on. I've already made an ass of myself. Uh, you know, why, why stick to this? Uh so keep beating a dead horse type deal.
0: Yeah. So, so I think part of the reason maybe I don't, I don't get objected to in asking questions is that I tend to ask, uh, fewer questions than a lot of colleagues. Um, but I tend to ask you know the four or five questions that are going to get what i need out of out of this jury pool or out of this witness and i yeah. move on so so i don't right yeah yeah you like to loop like you're 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 trying to
1: get uh, uh every single person that's on your panel talking and that's that is really like the goal sometimes you have to um you know you do have to ask those special questions especially with with regards to punishment you know you you really need to be asking if your panel can consider the full range of punishment, there's a specific way to ask that. We're not really going to get into like what questions you should ask or not ask on this. Uh, we have three cases that we're going to talk about today, Andrew. Um,
0: Our cases, or or
1: no, nope, no. Nope, these are these are much better <laughs> uh, attorneys arguing these than okay. than us. Just uh, checking out of the uh, uh, first court of appeals. Uh, that is Wappler v. State. That's W A P P L E R. The site is one eight three Southwest Third seven six five. We'll talk also about Standifer. That's S T
0: A N D E F E R. And when I read this for this podcast, I, I I pulled it up. I literally pulled it off of off of uh, Lexus, saved it as a PDF, and put it in my my go to file. I was it's all about voidire. So yes. so so go ahead and hear that. Save Standifer v. State. The others are important, but this one is just about voidire. Go, go ahead. And, sorry. And
1: Standifer, we'll get into why it's really important. There's a there's a five part test that's um, that's in uh, net, well that's cells, but we'll we'll get into why Standifer is really important. But I would say all of these um, you need to be pulling off. But Standifer's uh, citation is fi- fifty nine Southwest Third One Seven Seven, and then cells v. State S E L L S is uh, citation 121, Southwest 3rd, 748. So um, really, you know, just jumping into it, Wappler, Why is Wappler good? Um, like Andrew said, print all of these cases out, put them in your trial notebook, put them in, uh, uh, in a Vordire or jury selection folder so that you can easily have them. And then whenever you're done with jury selection, you don't have to think about them again until your next trial. But you need to have these citations and these cases readily available because, guess what, those prosecutors, they're going to object to any question, any, any question you have, uh, and it could be a perfectly legit question, but if you're on a roll, they're going to object. So you need to be prepared um with and these they're gonna cases. object
0: in part just to slow your roll
1: yeah yeah that's exactly right
0: you know if they it, it, and, and we do the same thing occasionally uh, if we think they're even close even if we know that it's probably going to be ruled against sometimes that objection especially in jury selection to get them all get you off get them off of of their game uh and to quote a friend of mine who's sitting in the room with us uh that being mr harris he said when he was a prosecutor he was a real dick he objected to everything yeah um I haven't and had I, that experience from my from from my prosecutors, but
1: I don't I, and, and to be honest, I'm a much different attorney than I was when I was first licensed. But I hope but so but yes, I uh I would routinely just um uh, object, not frivolously. I mean there's always some grounds to it. But and I try to avoid objecting now because I don't want a jury to think that I'm trying to hide something from them. You know? If it's if it's really egregious um, or like the leading just goes on and on and on, I will stand up and object. If the predicate is not laid properly, that's one thing that I'm going to stand up and object. But we know another attorney uh, who often says, you know, do you want to win this on appeal or do you want to win this trial? You right. know, and that uh, hopefully we have him on. The, we need the to get him on. Because he's, right. he's just brilliant. Um, and you know what? I want to win the trial. So, uh, so I don't do too, many, too much objecting now. Um, I have matured since my early days as a prosecutor. Um, But let's jump into it. So Wapler stands for uh, basically like they deal a lot with time limits. There is a 15-minute time limit on defense Vordire on a DWI case out of Houston. Um, The Court of Appeals said uh, that the limitation was unreasonable, prohibited counsel from intelligently exercising peremptory challenges. The really important thing here, uh, uh, law that we get from Wappler, I think is this three part, um, the, the, they say the there's a, pr- the purpose to voir dire is three things. One, to elicit information that would establish a basis for a challenge for cause because, uh, is legally disqualified from serving or biased or prejudiced for or against one of the parties or some aspect of the law. Two, Facilitate intelligent use of peremptory challenges that may be exercised without a reason stated, without inquiry, and without being subject to the court's control.
0: Right. Intelligent use is more than just, I don't like a guy in a blue shirt. Yeah. Or, I don't like a guy wearing a plaid shirt. And Mr. Harith and I are wearing blue and plaid shirts today. It's saying that that he, he or she said something, and you go it's not enough to challenge them for cause, but it's enough for me or my client to think this person's going to vote against us almost regardless of how this comes out.
1: Yes. Right. Yeah.
0: Sorry, continue.
1: And then the third and last um, uh, purpose of Rodier that Wappler states, indoctrinate jurors on a party's theory of the case and to establish rapport with prospective jury members. So that's actually like that third one I think is really interesting, right? There's a lot of leeway there. Indoctrinate jurors on a party's theory of the case. Um, and in order to indoctrinate jurors on your theory of the case. Uh, well, first,
0: first, defenders, you have to have a theory of the case. Oh,
1: yeah. Have we not covered that? <laughs> you need to have a theory of the case. From, like, day one, you get hired. You're starting to, to,
0: to Make a note. We're going to do something on theory of the case. Yes. But, oh, that's great, because right. that's
1: a big trial college thing, too. Right,
0: big trial college thing. But you've got to have a theory of the case. Yes. Sorry, we, we don't have time for that, but, but you got to have one.
1: Have a theory of your case, and you start that with jury selection. Wappler allows you to. If you get objected to because you're going into the facts of the case, Wappler, I think, allows you to indoctrinate. Well, I know it allows you to indoctrinate jurors on the theory of your case, and I think that allows you to get into some facts of your case without, like, saying, you know, my client, Mr. Smith, who's charged with DWI, he was driving home one night, and he was – You know, I don't think it allows you to do that, Um, but it does allow you to uh, produce hypotheticals um, and analogies to your case um, without stating, hey, this is exactly what happened in this case. So that's um, that WAPLR is a very good case for that. Now, um, if you are cut short um, of time and you still have legal questions that you need to ask – then Wappler is the great, a great case to pull up. It says um, there's a two-part test um, that applies when, a, when one party is complaining of the inability to question the panel. First one, whether the complaining party attempted to prolong the voir dire by asking questions that were irrelevant, material or unnecessarily repetitious. So know what you're going to say in voir dire. Don't ask irrelevant, immaterial, or unnecessarily repetitious questions. Your judges will cut you short.
0: Right. But if you're working on if you if you are truly working on a theory of the case and you're actually asking good questions, most of the judges I've stood before will give especially, you know, if they're like, hey, the the prosecution took an hour and 15 defense, you have an hour and 15 and you're at an hour and 18. They're not going to cut you off mid sentence, but they may say you're at an hour and 18. It's a clue to, to start trying to figure out how to wrap it up. But they're not going to just cut you off if it's obvious you're in the middle of an important question and the panel's talking.
1: Yeah, and that's uh that's really important. There's there's um any number of judges that I've tried cases in front of who will say, "Look guys, we're we're going to give you an hour for jury selection." Um and then you know, like try to pare down the questions that you're going to ask. You know, if you have like six scaled questions, first off that's way too many scaled questions. Um you know, take out a couple of them. Take out some slides from your PowerPoint. Um, adjust your Vordire to that time limit, and then if it goes long because you're actually asking relevant, important questions, that judge typically is going to give you some leeway. Now, if you turn one hour limitation and it's entering the the second hour, they may they may cut you off. But I, I don't yeah, think that you, would. If you're fall. at a, if
0: you're at an hour and twenty minutes and you were given sixty, well. Even if the judge allows you to go that long, know that no objection you raised during trial is going to go your way. Yeah. Everything has been turned yeah, against
1: gonna, you. They're going to be mad. So, um, so the two-part test, don't ask irrelevant and material or unnecessarily repetitious questions. And then the second part, are, uh, they determine uh, or they look at whether the questions the party was not permitted to ask were proper voir dire questions. So you need to have on, you know, when you are cut short for time and you need more time, you need to say, Judge, um, I'm objecting to the, uh, the inability to fully question the venire um, because, of the, because I'm getting cut short on time. I have not asked these irrelevant and material questions and these questions that I have left um, are proper voir dire questions. Here's what I'm going to inquire into and then list out the questions that you're going to have. And you need to put that, make sure that's on the record and make sure you get a ruling from the judge on your objection to be cut short. Um, the, uh, and so that's that's Wopler. That is a good case. It is not terribly long. It's mostly just uh, hits on the um, amount of time that jurors have but I think that really allows you. It's really important because I think it allows you to get into some facts of the case, at least the broader facts of the case. Now, one time in jury selection, I wanted to get into my client's criminal history. In mean, its strategy, I wanted to take the state's wind out of their sails, and um, I uh, I I texted Andrew. I texted another attorney, uh, Frank Sellers out of Fort Worth, and uh, both of those individuals were both were, were like. No, I don't think Wappler clears that. Um, you need to ask a different question uh, or put it a different way. Um, and a big shout out to to Frank Sellers on this. He's the one, he, he wrote a memo for a bunch of uh, uh, defense attorneys. That's where we're getting a lot of our uh, materials today. So let's move on to Standifer. Standifer is uh, a really great, um, case for determining what is a commitment question. Andrew, what is a commitment question?
0: <laughs> so a commitment question is one that generally asks a a yes no question or uh, it actually says that in for often they're yes no questions, but they're really asking a juror to to comment on how they would rule directly on a fact of the case or Uh, A hypothetical that that is uh, well, well, (laughs) that that, that makes them say, "This is how I will rule if um, given this if given this fact." Yes. Um, And in some ways, that's exactly what you want to ask. You want to know if if this person has left a bar. Does it matter how much they've had to drink? Are you going to find them guilty of DWI? That would be a great question. We want to know that, you know, because if you find out that that, uh, they don't like that bar, you know, a a jury person, or they just automatically think if you left a bar, you must be DWI, well, we don't want them on the panel. So you have to ask the question not, would you find Joe guilty if he had just left a bar and was pulled over for DWI? Right. You have to ask it slightly differently. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, so is anyone who had a couple beers at dinner and pulled over, are they automatically guilty? If you admit if somebody has admitted to drinking and and they're arrested for DWI, are they automatically guilty? Um, those are those are, I think, proper questions. you know, because um, because it's not it's not it may not be a particular fact uh, relevant to your case, but you're getting, some indication that, that these individuals, um, you know, just think anybody who drinks is automatically intoxicated.
0: Right. So, so standard actually says commitment questions are those that commit a prospective juror to resolve or to refrain from resolving an issue in a certain way after learning of a particular fact. And then it says often these are yes, no questions. Um, And you
1: may, you know, like I have a lot of,
0: I, you know, if
1: my questions, according to that definition, um, a lot of them are commitment questions. And I think, I think a judge is just going to give you some leeway in in asking that type of stuff. Now I've asked questions like a really bad question. It was a punishment question. Like, are you going to find it true? Isn't the enhancement true or not true if the... Uh, if the judgment for a prior criminal conviction does not have a thumbprint on it, and that I mean that's just, that's just a mind-boggling question, right? It's such a poorly worded question.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about this, yeah. and I was like, uh, uh, most of the people in the jury don't even know that there's supposed to be a thumbprint on a on a judgment. They're going to be thinking, so you're asking me if there are fingerprints on documents that people have touched? I, I don't. Yeah. I, I like like I was truly.
1: It was, and it was like one of those like I was inexperienced, and i I wanted to, I wanted to get across that, um. That it's you know it's okay to hold the government to the same standard that, in punishment that you did in the first phase of trial, so it's okay to question these documents. How do I know for sure? beyond a reasonable doubt that it is X, Y, and Z, that it is this person who committed this prior crime or whatever. I mean, it really was like that particular case, it was kind of silly because my client had talked about the priors and like an interview and all of that stuff was coming in, right? So it really like didn't really matter. Um, but you felt smart. You know, actually it didn't. That's the one where the state objected and the judge was like, Mr. Harris, you're just a pro to bench. <laughs> and like, I okay. mean, when you
0: came up with the question, you felt smart.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I don't know. I mean, I, I just was, I was wanting to get that information out there and to see if a jury, uh, if the, if the panel would have any response whatsoever, and I, I just got blank stares. It was really, um, a really uh, uh, important learning experience for me. So um, Standifer, really great at uh, at defining commitment questions. The uh, you know I think it's just important to um, when the, the when the court is evaluating whether or not uh, the question that has been asked is proper or improper, they're they're following a two-step analysis. One, okay, is the question a commitment question? Okay, and two, does the question include facts and only those facts? that lead to a valid challenge for cause? If the answer to one is yes, and the answer to two is no, then the question is an improper commitment question and the trial court should not allow the question. So there's a lot of my questions that are commitment questions. But the second part of the analysis, does the question include facts and only those facts, that lead to a valid challenge for cause. So the answer to that second part is no. That is an improper question. So keep your questions. If they're commitment questions, keep them to um, only uh, only include the facts from your maybe from your case or your hypothetical that would lead to a valid challenge for cause.
0: Right. So so the the prime example and Mr. Harris busted a panel a while back on this issue. Yeah, recently. Uh, yeah. Uh, was. Could you give someone who's been, if, if you found this person guilty of DWI, and I, I know we're talking about DWIs, but um, it's, it's our crutch. Uh, if you found this person There's guilty of so DWI, could yeah. you give them only three days in the county jail, yes. no fine, no probation? Right. Right? Well, that's true. That is, follow, that is a fact of the law. Right. You're, the only hypothetical is that they've been found guilty, and if they say no, we can't do that. Well, that that's they they can't be on the jury because they can't follow the law. So so it it, it, it is a challengeable question, but because uh or, or it's a commitment question, but because it it truly could have someone struck for cause, uh, it becomes a legal uh, or uh, non objectionable question uh, to the uh, to the court.
1: So you know the court actually in Standifer goes on to to. Um, highlight one of these questions that was an improper commitment question. So they say the proposed question uh, sought to discover whether any venire person, so that's any any member of the panel, would have automatic predisposition to find a person guilty simply because they refused to take the breath test. They said that was an improper commitment question. The facts in the question would not have led to a valid challenge for cause. So remember, that's that second part of the test. It's not leading to a valid challenge for cause. As a juror could have permissibly presumed guilt from such evidence. So in Texas, if you refuse a breath or a blood test, um, you uh, that evidence can be used of your guilt against you in trial. Correct. So uh, so that is a good, a, you know, a, a, I think... a pretty decent um explanation of like what is a commitment question agreed how we doing
0: all right so uh well i think it's time that we 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 look at our third case and you said that we're going to look at cells cells v state that's one two one southwest third
1: uh 748
0: um and again it it handles several uh jury selection questions um that uh Become important um, questions that relate to a particular fact. How did that happen? Um, uh, what jurors want to know is material or immaterial may not be actually really discussable. Uh, so, so what what do you what do you think is important in cells?
1: So there's a uh, there's a couple different things. One in cells, just uh, what a court of law, a court of appeals, excuse me, is um, is going to. Um, rely on the trial court's discretion on a lot of these types of issues they give the trial courts you know pretty good leeway uh, when operating a trial in their own court but they do say hey you know as far as like the discretion of the court goes a trial court abuses its discretion when it prohibits a proper question during voir dire about a proper area of inquiry okay so just be you know if if there is an objection and it's sustained you need to be uh you need to be you know putting on the record your reasons for that question that it is not does not violate stand deferred it's not an improper commitment question in that regard um because that uh, i think the court of appeals is kind of highlighting something for us there. like oh yeah that's a proper question then that that could be an abuse of discretion from the trial court right um if however sells is really good in uh, discussing challenges for cause.
0: Right, and we, we actually kind of hit on this a little bit previously yeah. that uh, it, it talks very clearly about how to preserve error on denied challenges for cause, and we, we discussed this previously, but it gives you the five points that are necessary. One, uh, that there was a clear and specific challenge for cause. Yep. Now, I can offer a clear and specific challenge for cause, and the judge goes, no, I don't think it means Okay, right, but but you have to offer it. Uh, you then used a peremptory challenge on the 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 that specific the, person, that, that specific person an person. Yep. And then three, you then used up all your peremptory challenges. You request more
1: peremptory challenges, more
0: peremptory challenges, and an objectable juror sat on the jury. So, so
1: yeah, I mean that this is you know we understand like I don't have these five things memorized it's important to have this case in your trial binder yeah Um, I would say
0: that I knew those rules and I think we talked about them in one of the other jury selection pieces but I wouldn't have been able to tell you here it is these are the five and this is how the five apply
1: because even if you say like let's say you just kind of on the record all of these five things are noted like, they're included somewhere on the record when you're talking about a, a jury person who's stricken for cause. The, the court may still say that you did not, you did not properly, uh, you Enter know. Enter
0: your objection. Yeah. Right.
1: Uh, and, and therefore, it was waived. So, I would have this case, Judge, uh, pursuant to Sells v. State, I have asserted a clear and specific challenge for cause. I have to have used one, my last peremptory challenge on that complaint of venire person. All of my peremptory challenges were exhausted. I requested additional strikes, per, uh, peremptory strikes, and you denied that request. And then that uh, complained of an IR person, the objectionable juror, sat on the jury. Um, and that's how you preserve error according to cells on this type of case. Right. Um, and that that's really important, right? Because if you don't get it specifically correct, then you've waived your objection.
0: And, Often if you complain about a juror and the judge says no that's um, you know'm not cha- I'm not striking that person for cause you're going to use your one of your preemptory pre challenges cut them and it's not going to be an issue it's when you have two or three or more that you think are challengeable and the judge denies them that it really becomes an issue and they're all within the strike zone and, and, and so um, I, again I I've been, I think, very lucky when I've had challenges for cause. Even when the state said no, I don't think so. I think I've had only one or two total across my jury selections where the judge didn't go ahead and strike them. Uh, and you know, one on any panel. Well, you just use your your preemptory. I think following this, I think judges actually got a little better. Um, I agree at, at at doing those challenges for cause.
1: Yeah, and I and I think like if you uh, if you can. If it's a legit reason for a challenge for cause, uh, I think a judge, um, you know, is probably just going to err on the side of caution and say, "Okay, that's fine." Right. You know, especially, especially
0: if. So again, we got to remember: cells um, uh, is a is a death penalty case, correct? Yes. So so there's lots of more challenges, lots more uh, issues oh, going around, right? but often we're looking at we've got a strike zone of 35 and there's still 60 people in the room so the judge's going to go you want two for cause done why cuz he's looking at the room and goes so we go instead of from you know 32 which is the normal strike zone so you, we get two for cause uh, from the from the defense one from the state and there's one person who we agree is supposed to be out of the country tomorrow and we're not going to put that stress on right. them so four so they just move and they're like it, it, yeah. it doesn't hurt the judge any, so no. he so he or she's going to give it to you. It's when you're now at fifty nine of sixty, yes. and they're he or she's looking. The judge is looking at it, going, "We're about to bust the panel." That they start going, "Ah, nah, nah, nah. yeah, well, why?" Because they they want to get on with business. Yeah, and no, you I don't, don't blame want to them.
1: retry it, right? Right. Um,
0: I don't blame them, but it doesn't mean that we give up on fighting a good fight. Yeah, we
1: don't. We can't cut the corners on on the law, right? Um, so the 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 court also here uh, says that the the proponent of a challenge for cause, so the person who's asking the court to strike a juror for a cause, um, and what is a strike for cause, Mr. Decker?
0: It's a strike for a legal reason. Either they right. can't follow the law, or uh, they've said something that would so commit them or it, say that they have so much bias that they couldn't be fair, um, right. or... Uh, could be they don't speak English. Could be they can't hear. Could be some
1: legal. Reason, there, there's a legal right? reason they can't. Can't sit on follow that. the law or, or some. Right. Legal reason. Sorry. So the proponent, thank you for for clarifying. I just know like we talked about that a lot. I think in one of the other. Uh, uh, I've slept yeah, first since or second. Then. Right. Yeah. Um, so remember, a challenge for cause is different than a peremptory challenge. Um, but the proponent of the challenge for cause has the burden of establishing uh, that his challenge is proper. Uh, his or her challenge is proper. This court of appeals is um, not including all of the it, correct it, pronouns. It was two thousand
0: three. Okay, different time. Different time. Different time.
1: Uh, okay, and okay. So you, the proponent, has the burden of establishing that their challenge is proper, and the proponent does not meet their their burden until they've shown that the Vanierman, the the complained of uh, uh, panel person, understood the requirements of the law and could not overcome their prejudice well enough to follow it. Okay, so again, another two-parter, right? Like, you have the burden to establish it, and that burden's not been met until you can show that they understand the law and they still are not going to follow it because of some prejudice.
0: Right. Well, uh, again, we've talked about this previously, but here, the, the, the now the case law actually says you can have a prejudice and still sit on a jury— you can you can say, Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna believe an officer more than I'm gonna believe a, a layperson or I'm going to uh believe um uh someone I know versus someone I don't know or I'm gonna believe someone uh you know, I just can't find anyone not guilty uh based on these or these or these issues and they go, Well, you know, but if the law says, if I as the judge say you have to follow the law, can you follow the law? Well, you know, judge, if you say so. And like, because the judge has said, you know, some magic word of you agreed to follow the law that you're not me crazy. that you're not going to still go, but I, I'm not. I, I can't do that. Yeah, right. We we don't put away deep seated convictions easily. No,
1: you can't partition off that part of your you know personality.
0: Um, and, and so, and sometimes you can see it when the when when the jury sitting in the box. We I was talking to another attorney uh, just the other day, and he said that. Six of, it, was, it was a It was a traffic court deal, so five of oh, the beautiful. jurors, when, it, when he was talking, would would nod their heads, and the other one would nod their head when the state was talking. And so it was very obvious that one of them was biased against him, and five were maybe biased towards him. Yeah, uh, ironically, he got it guilty on this traffic violation. but <laughs> uh, but he, he looks at the one guy that was just adamant in their body language as to who they preferred and some, there's some bias you are just never going to see until until they're literally sitting there.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's certainly true. This is not, you know, the the best way I think you know, we've said it before. Practice, practice, practice. If you have an opportunity to pick a jury on a traffic ticket on, you know, a civil case on whatever, do not pass up that opportunity. Or this is the best uh the best uh practice uh that you can get as far as like Talking to people, um, really sharpening your skills as a trial attorney,
0: or watch a few attorneys that do that, that do trial well. Go
1: and just hang out in the courtroom. Go
0: and offer to take notes during during voir dire. Oh yeah, because again, as we've said, that's often the most important time you need a second chair. Well, they may someone may not be able to sit with you for three days, but they can sit with you for four hours. Right, and they can take some notes. Then go, hey, juror number twenty seven kept giving your guy an evil look. Yeah. Okay, well, he hasn't said anything, but he may have given up his bias, right? Um, just in the way his body language conveyed. Any time oh, yeah. he, he looked at he or she looked at our client. Um, so, so again, just because they're biased, as long as they can say they can follow the law. And, and I get it. I, I'm, I, there are people I'm biased against, but could I follow the law? Well, maybe I don't know. But for our clients, it becomes. Oh, yeah, you extremely know, personal. Extremely personal and extremely pro- problematic. Yes. Yeah. All right. So um, I- anything else we need to say about jury selection?
1: I think we have beat a dead horse. Well, it's now uh, a dead horse. So a wait, dead. It, it oh, wasn't right. previously. Well, um, no, I mean, okay, so...
0: So there was one thing you said earlier, yeah. and I'm going to ask one quick question. You said uh, PowerPoint. Yes, And I've heard this is a hotly contested issue. So, so I oh want to circle. I'm, I'm looping back around. You mentioned PowerPoint previously. Yes. How do you feel about the defense using PowerPoint?
1: First off, that was a great loop. Thank Andrew. you. You've Thank you this before. I have. Um. <laughs> I listened
0: carefully. This was not on the program until just now.
1: So I love PowerPoints. One, I don't like to carry all of my questions in my hand. The PowerPoint kind of acts as my outline if you will like i know what i'm going to say when each slide comes up um i love powerpoint a lot of attorneys i think uh who don't like powerpoint they will tell you they like to have the attention all on them and that and that's great but i have found in my experience that the mind can absorb what the seat of the pants can endure so if that
0: might be aristotle or somebody like that, i think it
1: was somebody much more wise than me right um The uh, Judge Bilstein down in Fort Bend County used to say that every jury selection. Um, Wonderful man. So the the important thing I think to note is if you are boring that jury, if you're dragging on, if you're not providing enough entertainment for a jury panel, they're going to they're going to start glazing over.
0: And that doesn't matter if you have a PowerPoint or not.
1: That's true. You got to keep it moving. I just think the PowerPoint gives them something else to concentrate on. And especially like if you have a complicated question, a scaled question, put it up there on the PowerPoint so they can read it and really understand it and be thinking about it. So when you get to them, they, you know, maybe they have some answers already thought up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am very much pro PowerPoint.
0: Yeah, I I would say generally I am. There have been uh, maybe once where I didn't use it, maybe once or twice, but generally I like it. Uh, one, the state's going to use it. It makes them look, you know, and, and they like putting, you know, the state seal on there. I like putting the TCDLA seal on there, right? It's it's the liberty uh, or, or Lady Justice with the scales. Yeah. Um, it gives us some credibility. You know, we have our own we have our own um, uh, logo. Uh, w- then to put up some things and go, this is where the burden has to be, and go back and when they say something, you point to it. On the PowerPoint, they can see it. Yes. It helps hammer that home, right? Because they've heard it, they've seen it, you've pointed it to it again. I think the fear is, for using a PowerPoint, is that someone, a few of our colleagues have gotten stuck because they were following their PowerPoint outline so carefully, they didn't know how to kind of loop back around or to skip over. And so instead right. of just going click, click, going, we're not going to get to those today, click, 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 and skip to the, where your next piece is. Or yes. being able to go back, you know, they they kind of uh, maybe lock up for lack of a better term. Um,
1: yeah, you get you're too rigid in your in your outline. Like, okay, well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. No, if a jury is taking you to some other area, let that jury really drive the show. Let the let these individuals start talking about whatever they want to talk about. So long as it's relevant. So long as you. You know, that's material to the case. It's it's questions that are based on challenges for cause. Um, Let them drive the show, and then whenever there's a lull in the conversation, everybody's kind of said their piece. You can get back into your PowerPoint. Right, right. Don't be afraid to to jump around.
0: Yeah, don't be afraid to use the PowerPoint, but also have some have some intuitiveness about it. Is this a case that a PowerPoint's just going to get in my way? Right. I mean, occasionally, I you know, like I said, I don't use them every time. Sometimes you really look at it and go. There's nothing I'm going to put up there that's going to be beneficial minus that it's going to have my name. Well, I I, I don't care. Yeah. There's um,
1: a book that was written um, by David Ball. He's a, a, a civil attorney um, based um, out of state Georgia, maybe. Anyways, he wrote a book, David Ball on criminal defense. He's got what he calls the reptile method, and basically just kind of like emphasizing the burden that the state must meet um, early and often. He's got a great slide that we've seen numerous times, just shows what the different standards That's uh, one of the are. slides I go to. Exactly. If if there's
0: a reason I do it, it's so that I can show the standards and the legal definitions of probable cause beyond, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, clear, clear and convincing and. evidence, right? Yep. Um, which is that the trier of fact is uh, – I can't come up with it, but basically has no doubt as to what it is. Yeah, it doesn't is say sure, no.: doubt. Sure
1: as to guilt or something right. along those lines. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, and you go. And this is one step harder. Literally what you're trying to say without saying it is it is impossible to get to beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes. Because yes. if it's higher than clear and convincing, go. Yeah. Clear and convincing is something that I have a firm belief or conviction. Or conviction. Of, right? And ask someone, what do you have a firm belief or conviction in? And they're going to say my family, my religion, my God. And you're like, okay, so that's here. This is one step higher. That's, yeah, that's and, a great way to And inevitably, inevitably, you'll have a few jurors look at you and go, and just shake their head. Well, that PowerPoint makes it very clear when you yeah. go, uh, a conviction or a belief.
1: That's right. And then, know, and then you re-put that in front of them during closing. Right. You know? so, so early and often. So and that, that actually
0: is the, most, the, the reason that I most usually want to make sure I have it up there and to put up the law one more time. Yeah. You know, make sure they see all the elements.
1: Oh, and Andrew, don't forget, you got to have your contact information. All of those prospective jurors, man, they are prospective clients in the future.
0: See, I'm thinking they're going to send me hate mail. So no,
1: no, no, no. (laughs) Not by the time you or I are done with jury selection. They're going to be they're going to leave with a smile on their face. They've been entertained. They've been educated. Um, They probably leave the process um, not thinking that our client is just the worst person in the
0: world we hope not
1: you know i mean i, I think like we are very talented at, at at um bringing some of these individuals um along yeah along for the ride and yeah. and you know over to our side a little bit
0: all right well that little loop took us a little longer than yeah. expected sorry about that but but again andrew mentioned the PowerPoint. And I know some, some of our uh, colleagues find that to be highly, uh, debatable. So again, I'm Andrew Decker and I'm here for Andrew Harris. This is Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. You can find us on Apple, uh, uh podcast. Podcasts. Yep. You can find <laughs> us on Google podcasts. You can find us at Texas crim defense.com. Uh, you can Google either one of our names and find us. Um, but leave us a review reach out to us if you have a topic or someone who you think needs to be on the podcast we'd love to hear from you
1: hey if you have a trial coming up and you're wondering if you want to ask this question or that question or how to word a question run it by us we're happy to help
0: yeah we might tell you we have no idea but you can ask right (laughs) all right feel free to ask anything (laughs) else from you Andrew that's it all right y'all be good